Good morning. Uh, I had an intro, but after hearing her, I thought, that's amazing to see someone that young come up here and be that vulnerable. Because that would not have been me. To come up here and say, you know what, I just used somebody for my own self-gratification. Uh, one, I'm impressed. But I'm impressed not just by her, but by God. Because that's the transformation that we're talking about. And we've been in a series about being empowered. Empowered to give, empowered to lead, empowered to follow, empowered to be great. Today, we're talking about what it is to be empowered to preach. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of have some mixed feelings about this lesson. And here's why. So this is me being a little vulnerable with you. Uh, when I hear preaching, I oftentimes think, ah, I never do enough of that. And I also hear, and I also feel like, and this is a part of our church culture, was this is a lesson that I was taught a lot as a young Christian. A lot. It felt like every lesson I ever was a part of or listened to as a young Christian, it was like a three-point lesson, and third point was always preach. Okay. It didn't matter what the topic was. It could have been, you know, the wedding of Canaan, and, and Jesus per, uh, taking water into wine. Third point, host a party and preach. It didn't matter. <laughs> preach was always the end result. And so my concern was, are people going to tune me out when they hear this? Because of our church culture. But I also have feelings, listening to her, and even in my own life, on the other spectrum of the life that's been changed because someone has been willing to preach. Yeah. Because someone shared with me. Our church used to do something, uh, we called them campaigns and back in the campus ministry, when I was part of the campus ministry, and we would give challenges to go share with five people per day. It sounds weird now to say that or to think that. I feel like God just talked to me right there. <laughs> like, what do you mean that's weird? Um, but I, I do kind of think it's weird. We would tell people, you should share with five people per day. And we would go out and just kind of randomly walk up to people and go, you know, Jesus, you know, come. And, and we would constantly get rejected. And, and I always feel like that weird person. Like, I don't want to be the weird person knocking on doors, being made fun of. Ah. But I think about the person who shared their faith with me, right. Matt Young. On campus, he had shared with four people that day and walked off campus and decided, you know what, I made a commitment, I'm going to go share with the fifth person. And he walked back on campus, didn't know where to go because he was so discouraged, so he decided to go shoot pool, which is where I hung out entire campus ministry. But that was, you see me in the pool hall, and he hung out and he, he met me, uh, I was hanging out with some friends and invited me out and, and talked to me about Jesus. And I was like, you know what, maybe I should look into this again. And that was 27, almost 27 years ago. Thank God that he said this. So I do have mixed feelings. I don't want to be tuned out. I don't want to feel like this is a message that we've always heard. But at the same time, I recognize how great this has been for my life. But I also think this. I think we preach all the time. I really do. We may not be preaching Jesus, but we preach all the time. Here's some definitions of preaching. Earnestly advocate for something. To urge acceptance or rejection of an idea, or to advocate earnestly. We preach. The question is, what do we preach? Yeah. I think sometimes we preach our sports teams. <laughs> yeah, the Dodgers got farther, but the Angels have the better players. At least the more exciting ones. 
<laughs> we preach. We preach our football teams. The Rams, the Raiders. I hid them behind Aaron Rodgers. Hag <laughs> with that. If you're a Raiders fan, how can you be ashamed of Jesus? If you're not ashamed of that football team, <laughs> there is nothing you should be ashamed of. We have our alma maters. Cal State Fullerton. USC. Fight on. Yeah, you're welcome. We have our meal plans. Veganism. Our love to eat meat. Our bacon. Our coffee. Our chocolate. We, we preach this. Have you ever met a vegan that didn't tell you he was a vegan in the first 30 minutes he met you? Never. You can't. I think it's impossible. As soon as you meet them, hi, vegan. Immediately. But don't, as much as I want to make fun of them, you're equally weird, you meat eaters. You wear bacon shirts. How weird is that? I love meat, I have to wear a shirt that tells you. Weird. We talk about our cars. This car is better than that car. I'm going to do this to this car. Oh, you should do that to this car. We preach. We preach all of our hobbies. All the things that we're into. And we try to get people to do it with us. This book club. Oh, you got to do this book club with me. Painting. Ah, oh, paint. Come on, paint. We preach. Have you ever met someone into a show? Yeah. Have you ever met that person? Yeah. What do you watch on Netflix? Have you seen Squid Game yet? Oh. <laughs> you got to get on that. I'm on the fifth season. I don't even know if there's a fifth season of the show. <laughs> I'm not on it. But I know that people get into this stuff. We preach. Yeah. Now, for those of you who think, oh, that's all lowbrow stuff. I don't do any of that. <laughs> I have zero social media. I don't have any. It's not something I have. <laughs> Me and him. <laughs> but my late wife has a Facebook account that I would occasionally post uh, the past year on various, you know, various holidays or, or various meaningful moments in my life with her. And I would get on there and I would see some of those vile, horrific things being posted to people. And I was like, what in the world? And these were my friends. And I was like, what's happening? And if you're sitting there going, yeah, I saw those too. That's why I responded right back at those people with the most vile things too. I'm probably talking to you as well. We preach. Social issues have come up more and more. And again, I'm not saying that these issues aren't important. We preach them. But are you preaching this instead of Jesus? Has this taken over your Christianity? Because it didn't, this wasn't the message of Jesus. This was a message of Jesus, not the message of Jesus. There's a difference. What are we preaching? We have life events that we preach. I've had some great friends have some children over the past year and a half. And it's, it's amazing when they have children how much they want to tell you how great children are and how much you should have children too. <laughs> Until they become teenagers and they wish they could give them back. But we preach this. And again, what an amazing life event. 
But are you celebrating the gift more than the giver of the gift? What do you preach? And people fall in love. And they share about this. You know, they get engaged, they get married, or they start dating. What an amazing moment. And we're excited for them and for us. But again, are we praising Jesus for this? Or are we praising ourselves? What are we preaching? So today, I want you to think about who you celebrate as we preach. Psalm 20, verse 5. Maybe shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. What banner do you carry? What's the message that you give? What do you preach? Over the last several weeks, in all the empowered things, we've been going through the book of Mark, and we're ending today with Mark 16. And I believe in Mark 16, it gives us the message to preach. He said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. Tells us to preach. So why don't we? Why don't we do this? Well, why don't we do this enough? I was hanging out with a, a friend of mine, and, and, and all of a sudden I realized that there were some great people that we were talking to, and I left without really sharing about Jesus. And I thought, why did I do that? I had a great opportunity, I just didn't. Why? I think my grandfather would tell me why. My grandfather used to have this license plate around his car. To know me is to love me. Little stocky Norwegian guy. But he believed this. If you knew him, you would love him. And I think the same is true with Christ. If you really know Christ, you'll love him. If you really knew him. And if you really knew him and you loved him, you would be compelled to want to share. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but him who died for them and raised again. If you know Christ. So today, that's my hope. My hope today in looking at Mark 16 is I want to give you just a little more knowledge of Christ. Just a little more indicators about who he is. Because I believe if I can do that, if you knew that love, and you knew who he was, I think you'd be compelled to go, how can I share about him more? Because yep. I believe that's true for me too. Now, something I want you to consider. In Mark 16, 1-5, here we go. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll away the stone, or who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. The story of the resurrection. There's no greater story in the Bible than this. This is the moment, the crescendo, if you will, of Christianity. And these three women are there. And it's not just those three. There are others as well. So I want you to consider who these women are. We're going to talk about that. These three in particular. Now remember, they're not the only women there. But Mark was going to focus on these three. And he's going to focus on these three for a reason. 
And why do they appear? You know, obviously they're going to bring spices. They're going to be concerned about rolling away a stone. They're on their way to the tomb. We know this. But why did he appear to them? Something to consider. At least I think so. Is he looks at it and says, Don't be alarmed. In case you don't know this about Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene is the only woman in the Bible who's at all four gospel announcements. She's the only woman. Why? Why is Mary Magdalene so special? And why does Jesus approach her? Because he does. Mark doesn't talk about this particular moment. But Mary Magdalene is there, a woman who's been driven out with seven demons. And what's amazing about this moment is how lost she is without Christ. And I wonder if I feel the same way. Without Christ, am I lost? Or do I just go about my day? Something else to consider, and this was something that convicted me. Think about what we know of this story and what you know of this story. If you asked me to name who was on the 1988 Lakers team, I could tell you their starting lineup. If you asked about one of my favorite shows, I could probably tell you the main character. But if I asked you who were the six women who were at the resurrection, could you tell me? And it's not like I'm picking some obscure story in the Bible. This is the resurrection. Could you tell me those six women? I'm sure you've read this story many times. Don't be alarmed. Mary Magdalene, mother of James, James the Apostle, and Salome. In case you don't know this about Mary Magdalene, converted, helped support Jesus' ministry. She was also there at the crucifixion. Mary, the mother of James, also supported the ministry by using her own means. Also at the crucifixion. Salome, the mother of James and John, the apostles, also at the crucifixion. All three were there. When people ran and hid and, and, and buried themselves and goes, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I want to be away from this. This Christ is dead and I'm ashamed of this or I'm afraid for my own life. These three women stayed. And they watched our Lord and Savior die. They were there. And they were there the next morning or three days later when they go to the tomb. And why were they there? They're bringing spices. They're anointing the Lord. And they're concerned about who's going to roll away this tomb. In Mark 16, 6 and 7, the angels appear to him and says, don't be alarmed. Something else to think about with those three women. Why did Jesus appear to them? Oops, wrong way. Should be another way. I'll get to this in a moment. Um, something to consider. Why did Jesus appear to them? 
It wasn't because of their faith in the resurrection. Remember, they're bringing spices to anoint a dead body. It wasn't because of their hope of the resurrection. Remember, they're concerned about who's going to roll away the, the stone. Why did Jesus appear to them? Because they loved Jesus. That's why he appeared to them. And there's another reason. They showed up. That's it. Those two things. They loved Jesus. They showed up. That's all it took. Had other people showed up, he would appear to them too. And think about what that means for our Christianity in our life now. Do you love Christ? And do you show up? Just show up. Show up imperfectly. Show up messy. But show up. Show up in life. Show up to Christ. Do we show up? These women did. And that's why Mark highlights them. They were there at the crucifixion. They witnessed the suffering. And they loved Jesus enough to be there three days later to anoint the body, to face the impurity of what that would mean, to touch a dead body. Didn't matter. They were facing the Roman soldiers. Didn't matter to them. They were going to love Jesus and what they understood. And Jesus says, this is how I'm going to anoint my message. Something else to consider. Jesus came into this world and appeared to one group, and Jesus rose again and appeared to another group. The group he appeared to first, the shepherds. The group he appears to second, these women. The Talmud would say that both groups aren't even allowed to testify in public court. Both were that ashamed. They were second-class citizens. Shepherds were oftentimes seen as deceitful, even though at one time they revered. Remember, King David was a shepherd. But at this point, under the Talmud and the Mishra, it'll talk about the shepherds being people who weren't even allowed to be in public court. And women couldn't even publicly testify. There's a famous Jewish historian who when talking about Mary Magdalene as the witness, says, how can we trust a woman? She was just a demon-possessed sorcerer. As a female, we can't trust her. And this is who Jesus appears to. But there's something else about Jesus in this moment that I want you to take note of, and that's how he introduces himself. He says, don't be alarmed. The angel says, Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't say Jesus of Bethlehem. A couple weeks ago, Jay Minor was here, and he's getting all excited. He's like, Jesus, where is he from? And a bunch of people in the audience go, Nazareth! No, he's from Bethlehem. King David, the great city, Bethlehem. That's the birthright. That's what says he's going to be the great king. And yet he introduces himself, Jesus the Nazarene. What? Why are we talking about this Nazarene? Why introduce him that way? Well, there's some reasons. Let's look what Philip said when first told about Jesus the Nazarene. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, Philip. Nazareth, there's nothing good about Nazareth. And yet this is how Jesus announces himself. Jesus the Nazarene. Why? 
Don't be a lark. Jesus the Nazarene. Here's what I believe this to be. And again, I think there's two folds here. So just know that. There's two folds here. One part, Jesus the Nazarene. I think it's Jesus recognizing the fact of humility. You know, everyone calls him Jesus the Nazarene. I think there's a humility there in how Jesus presents himself. And I'll say that with the second part as well. But I think there's a sneaky second part to this that I had to actually look up in Hebrew to even figure out. Bear with me. Turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah 11. Again, had to go to Hebrew to go through this. So hopefully my Hebrew is decent. But then again, you know. Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. It basically talks about this stump. God is going to cut down David's branch, or David's tree, just cut it. But a branch is going to come up and bear fruit. That word branch, it's netzah. Say it with me, class. Netza. That's where Nazarene or Nazareth gets its root from. Netza. That branch. He's looking at him and saying, you know what, Jesus the Nazarene, the branch has come. It is risen from death. And it's bearing fruit. You thought you could kill it. But you cannot. It will rise. And it has here. I think there's something amazing about this. Because in Matthew chapter 2, it talks about the prophets will say that he will be called, he will be from Nazareth. And the prophets never mentioned Nazareth. I went back. There's nothing in, in the Old Testament about Nazareth. But there is something about the netza, about the branch. And I think Matthew's too much of a biblical scholar to overlook this. I think what we're talking about is the idea that this tree that we killed rose again. Jesus the Nazarene. The Netza. And he also mentions he was crucified. Now for us, that doesn't mean much. We wear crosses today. That's our symbol. We wear a cross. But if you said someone was crucified back then, they would have a very different image. I remember one time someone mentioned the idea of today wearing a cross would be like us wearing an electric chair on our necklace. Because that's how they would see it. They would look at this and say, was crucified, that's brutal. That's a brutal death. And that's how he announces himself. Don't be alarmed. Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. Shame, torture, humiliation. That's how he announces himself. But what's the response? He has risen. This guy, the Nazarene, who's crucified, he's risen. He is not here. See the place, see the place where they laid him. This is 
the Christ that we worship. He introduces himself to the most humble. And he introduces himself in a humble manner. But he reminds us that he is risen. What challenges do you have in your life? He is risen. What hardships are you going through? He is risen. What pain are you dealing with? He has risen. That's the Christ we serve. That's the Christ we love. And that's the Christ who loves us, who is willing to go through all of this for us. He is risen. See the place where they laid him? He's not there anymore. Why? Because he's conquered the grave. The only person who's ever resurrected. Yeah. Now you go, well, people have been healed and they've resurrected. No, they've been resuscitated. There's a big difference. Because they all died again. Everyone that Jesus raised again, they died again. Jesus will never die again. This is the Lord and Christ that we serve. Do we feel this power when we share our faith? Or when we preach, are we like, Jesus, I know if you may not like him. Oh, it's okay if you say no. I'll understand. So, are you watching any good Netflix shows? Or do we go, no, we serve a Christ who's risen. We serve a Christ who loves us so much that he was willing to sacrifice himself. And we serve a Christ so much that can change lives, as we just saw this morning. And continually changing my life. He is risen. See the place where they laid him. As we get ready for communion, some thoughts I want you to think through. Where does all this lead us? There's so much more to cover in Mark 16 that I know I don't have time for. But one, I want you to gather these thoughts. One, Christ's love should compel you. But for Christ's love to compel you, you've got to know Christ. You've got to go after that. And I truly believe the more you know of Christ, the more you'll love Him. I truly believe that. Because I can tell you that this is why I go into the Bible so much. Is I'm constantly searching for, for answers. But the answers I'm searching for is why does Christ love me so much? There's the greatest mystery of them all. Because who am I? If you walked into my classroom today, here's what you would see. Uh, I inherited this classroom and someone wrote right on the front board, right behind me, you are important. They wrote it right in big block letters. You are important. It stands right behind me. So all my students see this word. You are important. And I thought, that's going to entitle these kids too much. <laughs> There's no way I can keep this message up behind me in my classroom. And so what I put next to it is a picture of our galaxy with a little arrow pointing at Earth saying, you are here. That's what you would see in my classroom. You are important. You are here. <laughs> right there on a little ball of dirt floating around a bunch of other balls of dirt floating around a huge sun that's floating around a huge star system that's where you are so anytime you think you're important just remember where you are and yet Christ loves us so much that he came and died for us God loves us so much that he put his image into us 
And he's demonstrated over and over again that he's willing to stoop down to make us great. Why? There's the great mystery. Why does he love me so much? But he does. Because I know that answer. Because he was crucified. And he's risen. And when we take communion, the first thing to remember is that you know Christ. I think you'll be compelled. The second thing is show up. In your love for God, show up. Show up messy. Show up imperfect. But continue to show up. Those women were there. They were there through the crucifixion. And they were there at the resurrection. Where was Peter? Not there. In fact, when Mary Magdalene goes back and says, Hey, Jesus is risen. He rushes back. Why wasn't he there in the first place? And when he ran back, he wasn't even sure if he believed her. And Mary didn't even know what to make of this. As she lay crying on the side saying, God, what's going on? And she runs into a man and looks at him and says, Please, tell me where the body is and I will put him back. And Jesus says, Mary. And she bursts into tears. Why did Jesus love her so much? Because she was willing to show up. She was willing to be there through the tough times. And I think sometimes in our Christianity, we look at Christ and we think, I'm here for the good times. But are we there for the tough ones too? That's a hard thing to go through. Something you don't know about me, at least I don't think you do, something I didn't know about myself, I thought was, was normal. Um, about seven, eight years ago, my wife and I were having a conversation, and we were talking about how many funerals we'd been to, and, and someone had recently passed away, and I think she had been to like three or four funerals. And this is about, you know, again, seven, eight years ago. And she'd been to about three or four funerals, and I'm like, you've only been to three or four funerals? She was like, yeah. And she asked me, how many funerals have you been to? I don't know, 35? 38? Somewhere in there. I've been a pallbearer 17 times. I've spoken at 11 different funerals. And I looked at her like, that's weird. You've only been to a few funerals? And she's like, that's weird. You've been to that many? <laughs> I'm like, well, one of us is weird. <laughs> and we hung out with some mutual friends and we were talking and we're like, you know, how many, and, I, and I'm going in this meeting thinking, I'm confident. How many funerals have you been to? Tell my, tell my late wife how many because she needs to know that she's wrong. And they're like, four. <laughs> Lord, do you not have friends? They're like, well, we have friends, they just all die. <laughs> Man, it's rough. Yeah, uh, believe me, I've thought of it. I've had nine students die. Seven of them were killed in my time. Seven of them. Why do I share this? I know it is to go through some tough times. I know what it is to go through some challenges. And I know what it is to show up on a Sunday not wanting to be here. Sitting in the back, no offense to people in the back. <laughs> Sitting in a place where it's just like, I just hope to get through this so I can get to my next thing. But why have I been here 27 years? Because I continue to show up. I just show up. And why do I show up? Because of this. But go tell his disciples 
and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him, and just as he told you. The second part of this was because they showed up and because Christ appeared to them, you now go. You go to somebody else and share the message of Christ. God has given to you, you now go, and God has given to me. Despite the tragedy, despite the pain, God has remained faithful. He has risen. Is that the Lord and Christ you serve? We all worship something. And we all preach something. Are we preaching Christ? Is that the gospel? Is that the revelation? And I have to check that for myself. I shouldn't preach a church. I shouldn't preach a hobby. I shouldn't preach anything above Christ. Above Christ. Have your hobbies. They're great. Share about church. It's great. Well, except I'm a part of it. So it's okay. <laughs> and I say that because we're all a part of it. So it makes it okay. We're imperfect people trying to love God who's perfect. But what we do have is a Lord and Savior who is perfect, who is risen. And so the final thought leading into communion is this. If you know Christ, I believe you'll love Him. God will reach out to you and He'll send you forward. And lastly, that He is risen. When we take this bread and, or the wafer and the juice that represents the body and the blood, when we take it, what we're recognizing is we have a Lord and Savior who loves us dearly, who desires a relationship with us, each and every one of us individually and collectively, and who works powerfully in our lives, and who desires for us to know Him and to let others know about Him, which is why we can be empowered to preach. Let's pray for communion. Father, we are grateful because we know that you love us and we know that, Father, you have done amazing things for us. That you've worked powerfully in our lives in so many ways, in so many fashions, and in ways that we can't even, in, even understand. And Father, as we take this wafer and the juice that represents your body and blood, we recognize a Christ who is the branch who is risen, but who was crucified, humiliated, and ashamed. But God, who overcame all of that through your power and through his love for us. And I pray that that love compels us to preach, but not just to preach our words, but to preach our life the life that we need to live in the, in the graciousness and gratitude of you. Because God, we have been blessed. We've been blessed tremendously to be able to be known by you first and to be loved by you. And Father, I pray that as we, as we, take, this offering, as we take this offering of your body and your blood, we do so humbly and gratefully, knowing, God, how much you love us. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.